This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is God's love for His children. In the first half, Brent E. Nelson shares his address, I Know That He Loveth His Children. Then in the second half, Rollin H. Hotchkiss speaks on God Loves You. After receiving the call from President Worth and asking me to speak in devotional today, I spent a considerable amount of time thinking about what I might say. One evening, my daughter Andrea, who is a recent graduate of BYU, said, Dad, don't worry. When I was a student, I always went to devotional to feel the spirit and to have a rest from the stress of a week of school. As long as you bring the spirit, it will be okay. My prayer since then has been for the Spirit to attend us here today and to teach us all something new. I would like to start with a favorite scripture. In the book of 1 Nephi, the young Nephi desires to see the same things that his father Lehi saw in vision. An angel comes and shows him what Lehi saw, and even more, and then asks him, Knowest thou the condescension of God? And Nephi replies, I know that he loveth his children. Nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. I remember as a boy reading the Book of Mormon and coming to these verses and thinking, I don't even know what that word, condescension, means. But wow, I love Nephi's answer. He knew that his Heavenly Father loved him, and that was what mattered most to him. I've spent years pondering this declaration of Nephi. It tells me who I am, that I am a child of a loving Father in heaven. Many in the world today deny the divinity of man. They claim that we are merely the victors in a biological race for superiority of the species on this planet. But I testify that through holy prophets, God has revealed that there is a purpose to our lives as His children. We should all rejoice in this knowledge that we have but we should also receive that not all people have it. After arriving in the mission field many years ago, one of the first things I learned was that most of the people in Taiwan that I came into contact with had no concept of God as their Father in Heaven. And I soon realized that I, however, had always just taken it for granted. Back then, the discussions were memorized and were designated by letters of the alphabet. My favorite discussion quickly became the de-discussion on the plan of salvation. I loved it mainly because it allowed us to teach this most fundamental truth, that of our relationship to a loving Heavenly Father. I saw it change the lives of the Chinese saints. Once they learned it, they were changed people, and they radiated a love for their Heavenly Father. In contrast, a few years ago, we had a graduate student in our department who exhibited the opposite. Having been raised in a communist and atheist country, he had no knowledge of what we're talking about today. At one point in his studies, he had a series of setbacks. From these, he concluded that fate had turned against him. He felt powerless and not in control of his own destiny, and he concluded he was not meant to complete his graduate degree and decided to leave our program. But he was an excellent student and was making good progress towards his degree. 
I was pleased that his advisor counseled with him and eventually convinced him to stay. He completed a strong dissertation and obtained an excellent position with a major corporation, but never came to understand the love of his Father in heaven. I have found that when I think about God specifically in the context of his being my father and me being his son, I've learned some important things, some insights. Further, when I combine that with what I have learned as a son of earthly parents and as a father to my children, I've learned even more. I'd like to talk today about four of these insights. Insight number one. Children grow up to be like their parents, and that applies to us as well. If God is really my Father, then I am in the process of growing up to be like Him if I so choose. We've been taught that is the purpose of this life, to ultimately lead the kind of life that God lives. God told Moses, For behold, this is my work and my glory, to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life. Regarding this eternal life, God has given this promise in DNC section 14. If you keep my commandments and endure to the end, you shall have eternal life, which gift is the greatest of all the gifts of God. Elder Delbert Stapley taught, Eternal life is God's life, which he hopes to share with all his children. So how do we come to inherit eternal life? That is, How do we become like God? Christ gave us the ultimate goal when he said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. That is a tall order to fulfill indeed. I remember as a young boy, I viewed the gospel mainly through the lens of commandments. To me, the gospel was a set of rules that I was to follow, and that was that. But later I realized the gospel maybe was more than a checklist of rules. I realized it was about what I was trying to become and who I was trying to become like. I realized it was about helping me fulfill my eternal destiny of becoming like my Father in heaven. If that becomes our focus, does that mean we won't keep the commandments? We won't study the scriptures, we won't do our home teaching, we won't attend the temple, nor we won't pay tithing? No, we will do all those things, but we will do them for different reasons, for better reasons. Have you ever thought about the purpose of the various commandments? I know that as a father, I know what I want for my children. I hope it has some similarities with what Heavenly Father wants for me. I know that every night when I pray for my children, I pray for their safety, their happiness, and their growth. And I believe that is precisely why our Father in Heaven has given us commandments. He knows that if we follow them, they will lead us to safety, happiness, and growth. And that growth will lead us in the direction of becoming perfect, even as our Father, which is in Heaven, is perfect. Insight number two. What are the ways that Father might react to my disobedience? Now, I've always assumed that God is unhappy with me when I fail to do what I should, when I just go and do dumb things. But I don't think I had thought much more about how he really feels until one day I had an experience with one of my own children. One day my wife called me on the phone. 
fairly upset and said, I just got off the phone with a high school. Child so-and-so's teacher just called me to say that our child has been a real problem in class the past few days and has been severely disciplined. I was surprised by my reaction. To my surprise, I was not angry. All I felt was a mixture of disappointment and sorrow. And at that moment, I just wanted to take that child into my arms and tell them how much I loved them and how badly I felt. He had not lived up to his potential and had fallen short. And then it hit me. Could this possibly be how my Father in Heaven feels about me when I make mistakes? That he is disappointed and sad? I'm a bit embarrassed to say that this thought had never occurred to me in quite that way before then. Now, all I wanted was for my child to learn and grow from this experience. It was not a fatal error. Could this also be how my Father in Heaven feels about me? Is that why he is so ready to forgive? That was a very reassuring thought to me. I think it was in that moment I may have caught a finite glimpse into the infinite love and care God has for me, even though I am often a wayward child. Well, to finish my story, were there consequences for our child as a result of the bad behavior? There were. But they were motivated by our wanting to help this child learn from a bad choice rather than being motivated by a desire to mete out punishment. I only wish I always was able to respond in that way. Insight number three. We have experiences, often challenging ones, given to us by our Father to help us grow. As parents, Julie and I have regularly tried to provide experiences for our children simply because we thought they would be good for them. They would help them grow. For example, in our home, everybody took piano lessons. The goal was never Carnegie Hall, but simply to become proficient and to learn to love music. I think our children realized early on it was just a part of being a Nelson. Now, that they are grown, you could ask each of them if they always saw practicing the piano as a positive and growing experience. And if they were to say yes, you would know they're lying. Because at times, I know they all grew tired of the effort required. They either did not comprehend or had lost sight of the goal. But none has ever expressed regret for learning to play, and at one time or another since, all have expressed gratitude. I believe our Father in Heaven gives us specific experiences, sometimes challenging ones. Does He ask us to do these things because they will be for our own good? I believe that absolutely everything our Heavenly Father asks us to do is because it will be for our own good. Take family history, for instance, one of my very favorite topics. President Hinckley said that as we search out our ancestors and do their temple work, we literally become saviors on Mount Zion for those who have no means of advancing unless something is done in their behalf by those on earth. How many commandments can you think of that have been given where, in our fulfilling of that commandment, we are referred to as saviors? What a blessing! That said, as I look at the state of my genealogical records and the mess that they are often in, I wonder if God couldn't find a far more efficient way to get families sealed together 
if that was the only goal. But I believe there is more to it than that. Our lives are blessed beyond comprehension. And I testify that as we do family history work, we are blessed. I also testify that I have felt closer to the Spirit while doing family history work than anything I've ever done in my life. This is only one such example. Can you not say that you have benefited as much or more than anyone else when you have magnified your calling as a missionary or as a scoutmaster or visiting teacher, paid your tithing, fulfilled your priesthood duty, or given service to someone in need? To me, the miracle of the gospel is that everything we do benefits us as well as others. To use a popular phrase, it is win-win. Insight number four. God is mindful of me and provides tender mercies to bless my life. As a father, I am always watching my children, and at times I try to provide help. This help comes in a variety of forms, from giving advice to providing for their physical needs. But sometimes it seems that what my children need most is just encouragement, to know that they are loved and that we as their parents are there to help. In my experience, our Father in Heaven treats us similarly. Often his help comes in the form of tender mercies. In 2005, Elder Bednar gave what to me was a landmark talk in General Conference. His talk focused on the tender mercies provided to us by a loving Father in Heaven. In his talk, he said, The Lord's tender mercies are the very personal and individualized blessings, strength, protection, assurances, guidance, loving-kindnesses, consolation, support, and spiritual gifts which we receive from and because of and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Truly the Lord suits his mercies according to the conditions of the children of men. In other words, they are the customized blessings and direction that God gives to each of us to suit our needs. Importantly, as Elder Bednar said, Often the Lord's timing of his tender mercies helps us to both discern and acknowledge them. That is a very telling comment to me. According to Elder Bednar, the Lord wants us to recognize and acknowledge his tender mercies for what they are, customized blessings, assurances, and protection. To me, there is nothing so exciting as to see the hand of the Lord working in my life, to see that things didn't simply happen in their natural course, but to see that God has truly stepped in and done something just for me. Or alternatively, as President Monson has said, that God has used me to provide help to someone else. When giving talks, I think we all like to talk about such experiences, and I am no exception. Why is that? I think it's because they are our rarest of jewels the most precious experiences we have in our lives. They are the very substance of our testimonies. They confirm our faith that God lives, that He loves us, and that out of the billions of people on the earth, He knows each of us and is interested enough to step in and help us in specific and personal ways. Now, these tender mercies come in many ways and varieties. But because I have a daughter, Wendy, who is now serving a full-time mission, I would like to share some missionary work-related tender mercies. 
I have spent the years since my mission deeply pondering the effects of my service. Did I do what the Lord wanted me to do? Could I have done more? And the most pointed question I have often asked is, did I accomplish any good? The Lord has given me specific tender mercies over the years to provide me comfort and at least partial answers to these questions. They did not come at once, but in hindsight I can see that they came when I needed them. Importantly, they came at a time and in a way that helped to build my testimony that God knows me and is personally mindful of me. In 2006, I returned to Taiwan to teach a short course in my research area. While there, I attended church in the last area I served as a missionary. That day, after returning from church to my hotel room, the phone immediately rang, and the caller, who was in a different city in Taiwan, told me the following. She said that as a part of the 50th anniversary of the church in Taiwan, they had been given a form to fill out in church meetings that very Sunday. The purpose of this form was to help them locate lost missionaries they hadn't heard from for years. She said she and her sisters had filled out the form and had decided to put my name on it. She said almost immediately after returning home from their church meetings, their phone rang. Their uncle called to say, Brent Nelson is in Taiwan. He had seen me at church in this other city. As a result, they immediately found me. Well, I was speechless. My companion and I, we had taught this family all through the late fall and winter of 1977. We had fallen in love with this family, especially the six children ranging from junior high school age down to toddler. They were a wonderful family. But when I left, they had not accepted the gospel. I learned that they had been baptized, but only later. As we visited on the phone that day in my hotel room, I learned that not only had they joined the church, but almost all of the children in that family, daughters and sons alike, had served missions, married faithful members, and were now raising their own families in the light of the gospel. A few days after receiving that phone call, I traveled to where some of them now live to visit. Upon arriving, I walked in and saw the room contain more than 40 family members. During the visit, many tears, especially mine, were shed. To quote Elder Bednar, some may count this experience as simply a nice coincidence, but I testify that the tender mercies of the Lord are real and that they do not occur randomly or merely by coincidence. I have since wondered just who the tender mercy I've just related was intended for. Their desire to reconnect with one of the missionaries who taught them the gospel had been fulfilled that very day. But I had been allowed to see a part of the results of my labors. I will forever love the Tan family. My second experience is quite recent. It actually occurred while I was writing this talk. But by way of background, we first need to go back 36 years. My companion and I were some of the very first missionaries to work the town of Junon. There was no branch of the church there. There were no members. Over a series of weeks, we knocked on hundreds of doors in that town without, to us, any visible success. At that point in time, to me, the only memorable thing about Junon was that at night, after tracting all day, as we trudged in the dark on our bikes through the rice fields back to our apartment, 
we would often stop and admire the rice fields filled with fireflies. But one day after weeks of no success, we came to a house and a teenage boy answered the door. And when he opened the door, he said, Meorantai, which literally means nobody is here. Interesting comment. He had been coached by his mother to say that, by the way. We looked at him and I said, well, you are home. Can we talk with you? He turned out to be a wonderful young man, and he quickly developed a strong testimony of the gospel and of the reality of his Heavenly Father, and he soon entered the waters of baptism. Brother Wu, very soon thereafter, went on to serve a mission himself, then married and raised a righteous family. Now, fast forward to four weeks ago in early May of this year. Julie and I were accompanying the BYU ballroom dance team on their tour of China and Hong Kong. Shortly before we left, I learned we would be in a city where Brother Wu's son was now living. I emailed ahead and asked if we could meet. We spent a wonderful evening together with him and his wife, Alice. And we talked at length about what a blessing that day 36 years ago had been in both their lives as well as in ours. The next morning on Sunday, we attended a local branch meeting with them. Afterwards, we were taking pictures together to remember the occasion. At that point, somebody tapped me on the shoulder out of nowhere and said, I know you. I used to be your missionary companion. I looked up to see Elder Vance and realized we were companions together when Brother Wu was baptized so many years ago. We had had no contact since the mission field. I said, John. Do you know who this is, pointing to Wilford? He did not. And imagine his surprise when I told him that Wilford was the son of our very own brother Wu from so many years ago. Here we were on separate business trips to a third country where none of us had ever had any contact, in a city of 24 million people, and we just happened to run into each other. And at the same time, I had located brother Wu's son, Wilford, I knew it was an answer to my own specific and recent prayers. But as with my previous experience, it blessed everyone involved, and I realized it was just not for me. During our visit with Wilford and Alice while we were there, Wilford's wife Alice told us of a similar experience she'd had, and with her permission, I would like to share it. Last year, she was on an internship in Berlin, Germany. While attending a church meeting one Sunday while she was there, she was introduced to a Chinese woman who, after shaking hands, said, Wait, you served a mission a year ago. You are the first missionary who taught me the first lesson. Alice did not recognize her at first glance, but soon remembered her face and her name and how they had met near the Hong Kong temple 18 months previously while Alice was serving there as a missionary. She remembered how she and her companion had taught this woman the first lesson. Alice said it was a powerful lesson, and they gave her a Book of Mormon, but they couldn't do any more because the woman was to return home to her country the next day. What Alice didn't know was that after that initial lesson, she returned home but wasn't able to attend church meetings to learn the gospel because the church is not recognized there. But when she later went to Germany for her graduate studies, she immediately sought out the church in Berlin, was taught, and was soon baptized. 
And there she was when Alice randomly showed up in Berlin, to use her words, because of an internship. As I reread Elder Bednar's talk while preparing this talk of my own, I was struck that he repeated essentially the same phrase three different times. The points of this repeated phrase include the following. One, the Lord's tender mercies do not occur randomly or merely by coincidence. Two, faithfulness and obedience enable us to receive these important gifts. And three, frequently the Lord's timing helps us to recognize and acknowledge them. The experiences I've just related are gifts, even tender mercies. They're specific blessings given as answers to prayer by a loving Father to provide comfort and encouragement. To me, they are also unmistakable evidence of the truthfulness of Nephi's declaration when he said, I know that he loveth his children. Brothers and sisters, in summary, my testimony today is that along with Nephi, I glory that I have a Father in heaven who loves me and knows me. I am grateful for knowledge about my Father in Heaven that has been revealed through Latter-day Prophets. I have found great insights into the love of God for me by thinking specifically about Him as my Father. And these insights include, first, that we all have the potential to become like Him and live the life that He lives. Two, that everything He asks of us in this life is for our benefit and is designed to help us in that growing process. Three, that there are parallels between the love and caring we have in proper family relationships and the love our Father in Heaven has for us. Four, that just as earthly parents give their children challenging experiences to help them grow, our Father in Heaven does the same with us. Five, that God gives each of us customized blessings in the form of tender mercies, which do not occur by chance or coincidence, but faithfulness and obedience enable us to receive them. Often the Lord provides them at a time and in a way to help us recognize and acknowledge them. I am grateful for the gospel in my life and the foundation it gives me. It is everything to me. I am grateful for a loving Heavenly Father who has designed the plan of salvation that we taught in that D discussion so many years ago to be the great plan of happiness for each of us. I am grateful for modern-day prophets who have revealed important truths to us about God. I am grateful to have family ties here that help teach me about my life's quest to become more like my Father in Heaven. May we each learn to better qualify for and recognize the tender mercies of the Lord in our lives. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is God's love for His children. We've just heard from Brent E. Nelson. After the break, we'll return with Roland H. Hotchkiss for God Loves You. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is God's love for His children. Next is Roland H. Hotchkiss, 
Associate Chair of the BYU Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at the time of this address, titled, God Loves You. I testify that God, our Heavenly Father, loves each of you. He knows your name. He knows your circumstances. He hears your prayers and wants to bless you in every righteous desire through His Son, Jesus Christ. Like Alma, I testify unto you that I know these things are true because they are made known unto me by the Holy Spirit of God. I know these things because of my own journey. And if Heavenly Father loves me and knows of me, and since He is no respecter of persons, He loves you as well. My purpose today is to share with you five facets of my testimony that show that God loves us. These are simple and quite personal. I pray that your testimony of God's love for you will grow as you think of your own experiences and that together we may receive the word of truth through the Holy Ghost. I hope that as I speak to you, you will contemplate the many ways that God loves you. As I conclude today, I will ask you a question. So what are you going to do? First, I testify that God loves us because He grants unto us the revelator known as the Holy Ghost. It was October of 1972, a clear, sunny Sunday. I was a freshman at BYU. I rode my bicycle up Provo Canyon to Upper Falls. There I contemplated what in the world I was doing here. You see, I came to BYU as a non-member. Why? Well, several friends at high school were going to BYU, and they simply invited me along. I applied, and when my parents and I visited campus from smoggy and dry Southern California, we were sold. I knew very little about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, except that they didn't smoke or drink, and that a century ago—well, you know. <laughs> I had arrived on campus a week or so early to attend a late summer honors program. I met there my first roommate, Ron Price. After a long day, we were ready to go to sleep in our room in Deseret Towers. May they rest in peace. <laughs> and then something unusual happened. Ron rolled out of bed, knelt at his bedside, and prayed silently. I didn't know what to do. I was quite astonished. I finally said my own prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Amen. I was done well before he was. Much later, Ron explained that was the most awkward prayer he had ever said. I'm grateful that he did. As the semester began, I learned about agency from a Book of Mormon teacher named Bruce Hafen. I learned of the Atonement. Although I had grown up in a Christian church and was raised by goodly parents, these concepts were certainly deeper than the wading pool of doctrine I had grown up with. Once the semester began, my friends in Helaman Halls invited me to church, but I respectively declined at that time. They did not pester me or make me feel out of place. On Sundays, I would just do my own activities, limited as they were by a bicycle. I found that agency, a topic I had been learning about in my Book of Mormon class, was interesting as presented in the dorms. It was fast Sunday, whatever that meant. And when my floor went off the church, I went down to the Cannon Center for a casual breakfast. 
Hmm. But it was fast Sunday. There was no breakfast. But I wasn't fasting. But it turned out that I was fasting, even though I hadn't planned on it. <laughs> now, this was in the day when you didn't have refrigerators or microwave ovens in each dorm room. There was no food there and nothing. I was suddenly faced with my own mortality. I knew I was going to die. I figured I had just enough strength left to make it to some local restaurant. Der Wiener Schnitzel was the closest. All I needed was a little food to tide me over until the obligatory fast Sunday was over in the dorms. So I ordered about a dozen hot dogs. I've been grateful to Der Wiener Schnitzel ever since. But I matured. With the help of Ron, my other friends, Brother Hafen, and my own budding awareness of the beautiful doctrines of the gospel, a seed had been planted. And on that October Sunday, at Upper Falls, I asked Heavenly Father a question. Now, that's not something I was taught to do growing up. I was taught, like most, that you can ask for blessings. It had never really occurred to me, though, to ask Heavenly Father a question because that implied that you expected an answer, that you expected God to actually hear your prayer and acknowledge it with some sort of communication. It wasn't a question about the Church I had at that time. I wasn't ready for that just yet. It was a question about me. What would thou have me do? And for the first time in my life, I felt what I knew in an instant was the Holy Ghost that unmistakably distinct and identifiable feeling in my bosom that has since guided me in all matters spiritual and most temporal. A warmth, not alarming or acidic, but peaceful and calm that gave me clarity and resolve, like the answer cited by Sister Matsumori in October's General Conference, it felt like sunshine. What was my answer? that I had a special mission to perform. I had no idea what that meant. And it didn't matter at the time, because what I had found out was that day that God lives, that He knew who I was, and that whatever He was doing at the time, He answered my prayer through the Holy Ghost. I have been grateful ever since and have tried to demonstrate that gratitude by serving Him. My view of the world had changed from peering through a keyhole at life to having an eternal panorama opened to my heart and my mind's view. And if God loved me enough to answer my prayer, I know that He loves each of you. Remembering that during the next few weeks could be very helpful to you. Second, I testify that God loves you because He restored the priesthood in general and the Aaronic priesthood in particular to the earth. I testify that his love is made manifest through the gift of the ministering of angels that can protect us and comfort us as we learn more about Him. Since that day in October, my heart was prepared to receive the gospel. I learned by study and also by faith. I noted that Ron held an erotic priesthood and was a priest in that priesthood. Through sacred experiences we had together, I know that the Aaronic Priesthood encompasses the power of God and the keys of the ministering of angels. I know that such keys are a gift to young men in the Church who love Him. It is something to be desired. 
At the time, I identified with Simon the sorcerer from the New Testament, who said, Give me also this power. Although Simon spoke of the Melchizedek priesthood, I was desiring this Aaronic priesthood. I know that the Aaronic priesthood in particular and the priesthood in general is God's love made manifest to us to protect and serve. When you return home soon and see those gangly young Aaronic priesthood holders in your ward, you might remember to thank them for carrying the power of God within them. Third, I testify that Heavenly Father loves us because He blesses us so much as we try to serve Him. He meets us much more than halfway when we act on the smallest seed of faith. He blesses us all along our journey back to His presence when we incline our ear and heart towards Him. December 2, 1972, was a clear and crisp day. It was the day of my baptism. All the guys on my floor in Helaman Halls were up early getting ready for the service. But, of course, nobody said a word to me. It's a guy thing. Like baseball players who don't want to jinx a pitcher who goes into the seventh inning with a no-hitter. I was both amused and impressed. Who but Ron Price baptized me? I received the gift of the Holy Ghost that had led me to the place I was at that time. I received the priesthood and felt the whole armor of God. Thank you, Ron. A few months later, I was ordained a priest in the Aaronic Priesthood by Norm Nemro. You might know him as Professor Nemro here at BYU. Thank you, Norm. I was soon called as a home teacher. I was excited to serve with this Aaronic Priesthood that I had so much desired. One evening, I had a particularly vexing physics homework assignment to do. I also had home teaching appointments. For the first time in my new life, I faced the test of my faith. What to do? Up until that time, intellect had been the king of my hill, my lofty aspiration. But now, how did faith work once you were baptized? Would Heavenly Father turn His attention elsewhere now that I was within the Church? I went home teaching. And when I returned to my dorm to tackle Physics 121, all I can say is that Heavenly Father magnified my efforts in a very personal and significant way. I had not known that the Holy Ghost could teach physics. I have never forgotten that lesson of being blessed beyond what I merited at the time. I was strengthened, confirmed in my faith, and encouraged. King Benjamin put it this way, I say unto you that if ye should serve him who has created you from the beginning and is preserving you from day to day by lending you breath, that he may live and move and do according to your own will and even supporting you from one moment to another. I say, if you should serve him with all your whole souls, yet would ye be unprofitable servants. And behold, all that he requires of you is to keep his commandments, and he has promised you that if you would keep his commandments, you should prosper in the land. And he never doth vary from that which he hath said. Therefore, if ye do keep his commandments, he doth bless you and prosper you. And now in the first place he hath created you and granted unto you your lives, for which you are indebted unto him. And secondly, he doth require that ye should do as he hath commanded you, for which, if ye do, he doth immediately bless you 
and therefore he hath paid you, and you are still indebted unto him, and are and will be forever and ever. Therefore, of what have you to boast? Heavenly Father blesses us so that our seeds of faith can grow all our lives to produce a harvest of happiness as we put the kingdom of God first and allow everything else to follow. The Lord said, I will go before you and be your rearward, and I will be in your midst, and you shall not be confounded. I agree with Nephi, who said, My God hath been my support. He hath led me through mine afflictions in the wilderness, and he hath preserved me upon the waters of the great deep. Each effort I make, no matter how small, is blessed greatly. God is truly generous with his love. My faith was tried more seriously as I considered what to do about a full-time mission as a convert to the Church. I testify that as I exerted my faith, Heavenly Father strengthened my heart and melted the heart of my parents, who had been adamantly opposed to my serving. But Heavenly Father did go before my face and softened their hearts. I was able to serve with their blessing. And in giving back something of the love I had been given as I served, I received, as usual, more blessings than I deserved. I know that God will support you as you look to Him in every good thing. He's got your back. Selfless service at any time increases our gratitude for God. Fourth, I testify that God loves us because He wants us to have everything that He has. He puts no limits on how much we can learn, grow, and progress. Our friend Stephen Covey calls it an abundance mentality, not a scarcity mentality. Heavenly Father calls it the plan of happiness, the plan that can bring to pass our immortality and eternal life. I remember when I walked upstairs in the original Harold B. Lee Library, I was confronted with the scripture, Seek learning even by study and also by faith. I was initially shocked at such a thing, but after my October experience and others like it, I came to know that there is no limit to how much we can learn, love, and live. W. W. Phelps put it this way, There is no end to virtue. There is no end to might. There is no end to wisdom. There is no end to light. There is no end to union. There is no end to youth. There is no end to priesthood. There is no end to truth. There is no end to glory. There is no end to love. There is no end to being. There is no death above. There is no end to glory. There is no end to love. There is no end to being. There is no death above. President Uchtdorf recently summarized, Our Father in Heaven has given us, His children, much more than any mortal mind can comprehend. Under His direction, the great Jehovah created this wondrous world we live in. God the Father watches over us, fills our heart with breathtaking joy, brightens our darkest hours with blessed peace, and distills upon our minds precious truths, shepherds us through times of distress, rejoices when we rejoice, and answers our righteous petitions. He offers to His children the promise of a glorious and infinite existence 
and has provided a way for us to progress in knowledge and glory until we receive a fullness of joy. He has promised us all that He has. We're really tested with this concept as parents. Our oldest daughter has borne the brunt of much of our learning. Come to think of it, our other three children didn't fare much better. As an active teenager, she would ask if she could go do this and that with her friends. Her requests were always reasonable, and she reminds us often that we were lucky that she even asked. But I remember once telling her no. She, of course, wanted to know why. I said, because I'm your father, and I figure every once in a while I should exercise that right and just say no. <laughs> well, how silly that was. Heavenly Father doesn't do that because He doesn't exercise such capricious constraints. She and I talked for quite a while that night, for she justifiably called me on my Section 121 violation. <laughs> and I let her go and demonstrated my love and trust for her. In addition to Heavenly Father not constraining us capriciously, I know that He loves us because He is anxious to impart all knowledge into our hands. Of things both in heaven and in the earth and under the earth, things which have been, things which are, things which must shortly come to pass, things which are at home, things which are abroad, the wars and the perplexities of the nations, and the judgments which are on the land, and a knowledge also of countries and kingdoms. There is no end. The knowledge that comes through faith and prayer by the Holy Ghost could be very useful to you in the upcoming days. Fifth, I testify that God loves us because He sent His Son to atone for our sins and for the sins of all humankind everywhere. This is the most powerful manifestation of all. I felt it first as I prepared for baptism and now as I prepare to receive the sacrament. The Atonement has been written about for centuries by prophets both ancient and modern, but is it written in our hearts? The Atonement is not an academic abstract that is learned like the multiplication tables. If we are prepared, like Nephi and Enos, the Atonement can seek deep into our hearts and fill us with wonder. The manner of receiving the teaching of the Atonement is illustrated with the examples of Nephi and his elder in age, yet younger in spirit brothers, Laman and Lemuel. Nephi, in seeking an interpretation of his father Lehi's dream, had the following discourse with an angel. And it came to pass, after I had seen the tree, I said unto the spirit, I behold, thou hast shown unto me the tree which is precious above all. And he said unto me, What desirest thou? And I said unto him, to know the interpretation thereof. You know, it's interesting that the angel just didn't tell Nephi the interpretation. As a matter of fact, the angel could have made a nice spreadsheet of the vision with the symbols across the top in columns and the explanation in the next row. But instead, and it came to pass that he said unto me, Nephi, look. And it came to pass that I looked and beheld the great city of Jerusalem and also other cities. And I beheld the city of Nazareth, and in the city of Nazareth I beheld a virgin, and she was exceedingly fair and white. And it came to pass that I saw the heavens open, and an angel came down and stood before me, 
And he said unto me, Nephi, what beholdest thou? And I said unto him, A virgin, most beautiful and fair above all other virgins. And he said unto me, Knowest thou the condescension of God? And I said unto him, I know that he loveth his children. Nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. And he said unto me, Behold, the virgin whom thou seest is the mother of the Son of God after the manner of the flesh. And it came to pass that I beheld that she was carried away in the Spirit. And after she had been carried away in the Spirit for the space of a time, the angel spake unto me, saying, Look. And I looked and beheld the virgin again, bearing a child in her arms. And the angel said unto me, Behold the Lamb of God, yea, even the Son of the Eternal Father. Knowest thou the meaning of the tree which thy father saw? Well, had the angel made a spreadsheet? No, Nephi experienced the answer. And I answered unto him, saying, Yea, it is the love of God which sheddeth itself abroad in the hearts of the children of men, wherefore it is the most desirable above all things. And he spake unto me, saying, Yea, and the most joyous to the soul. The love of God is the most desirable and joyous to the soul. Later Nephi testified, And I, Nephi, saw that he was lifted up upon the cross and slain for the sins of the world. The Atonement had sunk deep into Nephi's heart. Contrast this with Laman and Lemuel's experience. They had dismissed the visit of an angel, did not believe the words of their father, and found the truth to be hard. When they asked Nephi about the interpretation of each element of the dream, Nephi simply gave them the spreadsheet explanation. Although the Atonement had taken root in the fleshy portion of Nephi's heart, the hardened hearts of Laman and Lemuel remained unchanged. The Atonement is a gift from Heavenly Father through His Son that we need to remember even more this time of year. It was the ultimate gift of both the Father and the Son, of the Father because He allowed His Son to suffer, and of the Son because of what He did for us. Even all the football fans know the most famous scripture of all. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. A glimpse of our Heavenly Father's anguish came to me several years ago during a high adventure trip with my oldest son and several members of his priest's quorum. We had gone to the San Juan Islands off the coast of Washington. One of the activities the boys wanted to do was to ride their bicycles down the paved road from the, mount, the top of Mount Constitution. I've done a bit of riding in my life and I encouraged the boys to first ride up the mountain so they could remember where the tightest turns were, the gravel, the cracks in the pavement, and other such potential hazards. But of course, that was too hard. So we took all the boys and bikes to the top, and we all started down. I came down last, and I helped pick up each boy as each crashed at a different location. My son, for example, had entered a hairpin turn going hopelessly too fast. He had a choice—go over the railing 
or lay the bike down. With brakes tightly squeezed, he laid the bike down and skidded for some distance on the asphalt. His T-shirt rolled up on his back, and he received quite a road rash, including embedded bits of small gravel and tar. Well, like any unprepared scout troop, our only cleaning agent in the first aid kit was alcohol. As I watched his friends begin to clean the wounds on his back with alcohol, I simply could not bear to watch. The pain must have been excruciating, and I could not stand to see my son suffer. I know that Heavenly Father hurt at the sight of his son's suffering. I know that both Heavenly Father and his son love us. President Uchtdorf summarized God's love for us this way. Though we are incomplete, God loves us completely. Though we are imperfect, He loves us perfectly. Though we may feel lost and without compass, God's love encompasses us completely. He loves us because He is filled with an infinite measure of holy, pure, and indescribable love. We are important to God not because of our resume, but because we are His children. He loves every one of us, even those who are flawed, rejected, awkward, sorrowful, or broken. God's love is so great that He loves even the proud, the selfish, the arrogant, and the wicked. What this means is that regardless of our current state, there is hope for us, no matter our distress. No matter our sorrow, no matter our mistakes, our infinitely compassionate Heavenly Father desires that we draw near to Him so that He can draw near to us. In conclusion, I testify that God, our Heavenly Father, loves each of you. He knows your name. He knows of your circumstances. He hears your prayers and wants to bless you in every righteous desire through His Son, Jesus Christ. I am grateful to have had the opportunity of attending BYU those many years ago. I am grateful for the spirit that is here both then and now. I truly am. So here is my question. What are you going to do? I pray that you might feel inspired this season to use Heavenly Father's love for you as a verb, and that what you need to do will be revealed to you in prayer. The primary children have it right. I know my Father lives and loves me too. The Spirit whispers this to me and tells me it is true, and tells me it is true. I add my testimony that it is true. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was God's love for His children, with thoughts from Brent E. Nelson and Rollin H. Hotchkiss. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. 
Fact-Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.